Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julieta Gabiola, clinical professor of medicine at Stanford University. What drew me to medicine was the science, the innovation, and the promise for a comfortable life. But what has kept me in medicine are the real people, their lives, and their stories, as well as the translation of medical innovations into practical applications. This podcast will explore experiences beyond the walls and corridors of the hospital, laboratories, and clinics. I invite you to share in our journey seeking to preserve and improve our lives, our sense of balance, and our well-being. Medicine for Good podcast, episode three, a doctor's reflection on COVID-19, how we adapt to this unprecedented crisis, how mobilizing not only our inner strengths, but the support of the people around us can help us get through this pandemic in one piece. Dr. Kirsty Wang, a champion of the underserved population, will highlight the creation of a drive-through tents for COVID testing, as well as creation of the Crown Clinic to help protect staff and patients from rapid transmission of the virus. She will discuss the value of resurrecting safety net programs for our vulnerable population. Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Today, I am pleased to welcome a colleague who I so admire, Kirsty Wang. Kirsty is a primary care internist at Stanford. She is our section chief of primary care. She is an associate professor of medicine at Stanford University. She has 25 years of experience at Safety Net at Santa Clara Valley. She was instrumental in opening our express care at Stanford and uh, in San Jose, and she directed the Mayview Clinic at the Bay Area. She is a mother of nine children, three of which are biologic and six are adopted African-American children. The age range is 16 to 38. Must be real busy. And she will share today her reflections on COVID-19 and would also outline what Stanford is doing for public health. Good afternoon and welcome, Kirsty. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me, Julieta. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, uh, wow, nine children. You, you must be busy. And, and tell me how you balance your work life. You, you're in academics. You're uh, also seeing patients. You're in a huge administration role. And then you have nine children. Tell me how that balancing act going. You know, I think, Julieta, all of us have different stages in our lives. And I would say earlier in my career, I felt family was very important and my career was very important, but I couldn't do everything all the time, full time. So I was really working part time for the early part of my career when my children were young. And that was a choice I made. And um, now that my children are older, I am grateful to be here at Stanford where I am working full time now and um, really enjoying it. Kirsty, I so admire you. You know, your leadership is well-respected and you're so inspiring. I am so happy that you're able to balance that uh, life. And I myself, as a single mother of mm-hmm. two, 
uh, and I lost my husband 25 years ago or 27 years ago now, uh, it was a balancing act. And I thought it was so difficult to carry on a full-time profession. And I had to work an extra job to be able to provide for my family and still be there for my two kids with all their activities and stuff. So that must be really difficult to have nine children. I salute you for that. Take us back, Kirsty. you know, as the section chief, could you share with us and roll back to like about eight to nine months ago when we started scrambling at Stanford in terms of our uh, mobilization of our resources to meet COVID-19? So take us back to March. Well, you know, Julietta, Stanford is really an innovative community and it attracts bright minds. And I'm reminded every day as I recruit and I nurture our physicians that we are lucky that we have people interested in joining Stanford and that we have an opportunity to join and gather curious minds together. And those people who have energy to stretch and continue to push the frontier of, of what we're doing. And um, Stanford also, people at Stanford really have a desire for excellence and they wanna bring all to what they do. So Stanford nurtures these values and uh, the people under Stanford uh, umbrella have these qualities. Stanford also allows a time for physicians to work on special projects so that they, they can really um, grow those special areas of interest. And our faculty are creative and curious and smart. And they also value um, acting on their knowledge and helping their patients and helping their community. And um, this is no more evident than it is in the Department of Medicine and the Division of Primary Care. We have collaborations with the community, with health centers in Palo Alto, Mountain View, Sunnyvale and Oakland and San Jose. And we feel it is part of our duty to share our knowledge with them as well help as finding solutions that will benefit everybody. So during COVID-19, I would say these creative minds at Stanford just put the pedal to the metal and they really found ways that were nationally recognized. So our express care providers and staff immediately realized that there was a need for safe and available COVID testing. And as you know, they quickly developed the drive-through clinic for COVID testing. And that really made the testing safe and available for all people. And this pilot model developed rapidly into a widely adopted practice over the county and the country. Stanford also developed the Crown Clinic, which is a respiratory clinic that allows what we call PUIs, persons under investigation, to be seen, even if they have symptoms. And when it's necessary for them to be seen by the providers and staff, they have full equipment, protective equipment, so that those people caring for the COVID positive or the COVID suspected of COVID positive are also protected. And I love this model because it made it so that the people could be seen in the regular clinics without worry that there's gonna be someone uh, with COVID to cough on them and that the people who were caring for patients would also be protected. And the rapid deployment of both of these programs really was such a service to Stanford and the community around us. Many of the patients that we see in the COVID clinic are um, non-English speaking and didn't know where to turn and know where to go. And um, Stanford is helping them. 
I'm so happy and proud to be part of that deployment and mobilization of resources. As I recall, each day, all of us had different mandates and directive. Every, every day it was changing. And to be able to provide services and reassure patients that they are also protected. You know, it's nice to know that. And so the drive-through has been uh, so successful. And again, it was a model for the county, the, the state, and, and in the U.S. Now tell us, like, I know there's a, you know, expansion of that drive-through to influenza testing uh, and other testing. Is that right? Yes. And I think the changes that COVID has brought about has really made us rethink a lot of things. And I feel like COVID's been a bit of a catalyst that's pushed people to adopt and uh, embrace things that they maybe they were a little bit nervous about doing before. So now uh, Stanford is going to be expanding the COVID testing by drive-through to include flu testing as indicated by their doctor or a strep throat testing because all those symptoms come together and um, we don't know which one someone has. So the clinics are, or the, the drive-through clinics are adopting so that they can screen for all those things so that people can be seen safely and quickly to help the community. Yeah, yeah. And I know we were also part of that first move for telemedicine at the Express Care. And one of our colleagues will be talking more extensively about telemedicine and the rapid evolution of uh, telemedicine nationwide, uh, not just at Stanford. Um, so we will talk about that. But it first started at Express Care and all of us providers were mobilized to have all our laptops. And uh, it's so nice to be in an academic environment and at Stanford where the resources are actually just basically mobilized instantly. And I know you are part of that and uh, it must be hard to try to administrate to all, like how many are we in primary care? Like 150 or? <laughs> yes, we have a lot of physicians in primary care and it's, um, it's difficult, but it's also a joy because I, my daughter loves the a musical Hamilton. And there's one um, song in Hamilton where I think it's um, Angelica wants to go out in the city because she and she's looking for a mind at work because she loves to see someone thinking and imagining and creating. And so the whole song is about looking for a mind at work. And I would say that at Stanford, everybody has a mind at work and it's really, really inspiring. And so when there was a a need and a time for change and innovation, Stanford was ready to do that because there was all these minds at work. And so although it can be difficult, it is mostly um, a job where I'm, I'm just trying to support people to do the best that, that they can because they all have really great ideas. Yeah, and it is so nice to be with staff, with faculty, with colleagues who are not only like-minded, innovative, but they are so passionate in terms of helping our patients and uh, helping each other. And I haven't seen such a cohesive group, uh, and I'm so proud to be really part of it. So again, with your leadership, which is so inspirational, that's happening, and a lot of the leadership at Stanford as well. Now I would like to kind of like ask, what is Stanford doing in terms of public health? So I'm really interested in um, the changes that I've seen and the issues that have been revealed 
by the pandemic that we've experienced. As I said, I think that COVID-19 has been a catalyst for change and some really good change, such as the video visits and bringing healthcare into people's homes so they don't have to travel for that. But in addition to being a catalyst for change, I think the pandemic has created an unveiling of the weaknesses that have gradually crept into our communities. Uh, most of us have been living in a period of relative stability with a large middle class, not too much unemployment, and maybe it's made us complacent and not realizing perhaps what fragility could be could be around us. And so gradually over the past few decades, I think we've had a gradual change in the employment structure and the structure of our health and safety net for our communities, where we have really more, say, gig workers, which allows for flexibility, which is great, but lacks the general support that comes with full employment. And I think there's been a gradual loss of the middle class and a valley between the small number of wealthy people and the growing number of poor people. And the, the risk that comes with this adoption of a larger gig economy were generally hidden because we did have a really wealthy, active economy without any stresses. And we've slowly been eroding our reserves and our cushion so that more people were made vulnerable without this structure to ensure healthcare and um, housing standards for all the members of our towns and our neighborhoods. And these vulnerabilities were easy to overlook when we had no stress. But now I think this pandemic has unveiled the stress, or not the, the stress, but has unveiled the fragility of the structure that we've created. Because before, I think we had reserves and um, we've slowly been eroding, eroding those reserves so that we see that those of us who are able to work remotely, who have uh, tech jobs, are very safe. And those people who have to go out and go to work and who are part of the infrastructure that supports us, who work in the grocery stores, as we call them, essential workers. But in addition to being essential workers, I think that they're um, very vulnerable. And um, perhaps because of the gig economy or for other reasons, they're living in crowded conditions. And so not only are they more vulnerable to illness, but because of the crowded conditions, they're exposing a lot of people to um, COVID. And so that we're seeing that those communities that are required to go to work are mostly communities of color, that they are poor communities, and that they are suffering the brunt of this pandemic. And so it is opening our eyes and it's really making a call for us to figure out what we can do for those communities. And I'm really proud to say at Stanford, like I said, that most of the people who come to our Crown Clinic, which cares for the um, people with COVID and those who um, are persons under investigation, those people mostly are non-English speaking and that they uh, don't have another place to turn. And I'm glad that Stanford took up the call to care for them, as well as offering the, the COVID testing to everybody. So that when there was a, a need, especially in the beginning, when there's nowhere else to turn for testing, Stanford is helping those. And uh, we're lucky that the community at, as a whole has uh, jumped in and many, many people are now offering COVID testing. But when there was a need, Stanford was there. Yeah, it's amazing how that resources was really extensively mobilized. 
I mean, in terms of like, I understand like with the COVID-19 had disproportionately affected the this vulnerable underserved population. And it's also an eye-opening experience for me to do like an initiative at Stanford uh, following this hospitalized patients uh, uh, with pulse oximetry as they get discharged to ensure their safety after discharge. But it's amazing that like 95 5% of those people are Latinos. You could almost say you could predict the incidence of COVID-19 based on the zip code. Am I right? Yes. Am I so accurate in, in saying that? Yes, and we've had speakers coming from different places uh, within Santa Clara County. So that's, that's our community. And um, the hospitals that are uh, in, like you say, in certain zip codes that are highly... Uh, Hispanic are, are have so much more COVID than than we do. Who are in a more um, affluent community, and that's that's what we see. Yeah, yeah, and it's even amazing how we translate like what we tell to the patient, and we actually don't even think how is that instruction translate to real life because we say, well, you go home, you quarantine yourself, but how do you quarantine yourself when there are ten of you in a two-bedroom apartment with one bathroom and everyone is infected? So it it moves from one to the other because they're all multi-generational. I mean, they cannot even be protected. Would there be something like a provision for a place that these people could be quarantined safely for a couple of weeks, whatever that time period is, and then sent back to their family? So I think that that's something that could happen. Um, and we have, would have to decide who would be responsible for that and how we would do that. Certainly the county has, um, the, the county and, and public works have also offered in many places, including Santa Clara County, the homeless, a place to stay. I know one of my patients who was homeless, who is a senior, who has Medicare and Medi-Cal, which is a, a California's Medicaid, um, uh, believes that she was hospitalized early in her in the COVID time uh, and then transferred to a nursing home. And at this time, she's in the nursing home because they don't want to release her to the streets because the vulnerabilities that she has were she to get COVID. So I think there are things that are being done, but um, probably there's more that can be done. And I don't think it's going to be a short-term solution. I think that there's uh, we need to think about, like I said, in my opinion, that safety net that we have and that cushion that we had that would help people, that's something we need to build up again so that um, it will take time. It's not going to be immediate. And I think that we can see that um, with the emergency funding that's been given to people now, it has been a good band-aid and it's really helped people through this time of unemployment increasing unemployment now that I think that's been helping them. But I think that we need to be thinking about longer term solutions that will will give us that cushion, not just a temporary short term bandaid. Yeah, yeah. And I know it is largely a bandaid because we even now because of the the need for uh, taking care of this COVID infected patients or all the COVID concerns. I mean, we are even not inadvertently, but 
kind of like neglecting the management of their chronic diseases and uh, other preventive measures that are supposed to be in place. So, you know, I think we really have to basically prepare for this uh, onslaught of uh, like presentation of, of all the chronic diseases now, which had been largely neglected. Yes, and I think hopefully people will come in for lab testing. I think here at Stanford, we've really, like I said, because we have these separate clinics for people who are symptomatic, I think that the risk of coming in to get a lab test uh, in acquiring um, COVID is very low. So hopefully people gradually will come to trust what we're doing here so that they will come to get their lab work done. They'll come to get their preventive measures done because in all, I think in all healthcare institutions, they're being really careful about screening people before they come in. And we're really fortunate that the biotech companies quickly and Stanford quickly developed COVID testing so that we can monitor and, and, being, and testing is really important so that we know what's happening. And um, eventually the development of a vaccine will really help. I think though that we are probably going to have a lingering need to be more conscious of probably respiratory illness and have some of these safeguards going for a long time. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, everyone is bracing themselves with the flu coming up here. And uh, so flu shot is really very important. So we already have uh, strategies to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. So we have availability, well, hopefully availability and accessibility of testing, contact tracing, education and prevention guidelines. What else would you add on to that message to be able to coexist with this virus? I would say that uh, it's important to be creative, to reach out, to have find meaning, say in Zoom, in Zoom, right? Find meaning in Zoom and have patience and kindness towards those around you because we're all having to deal with the change and be a little bit flexible so that we can create something new together. Wow. And uh Kirsty, as a parting finale for our visit today, you are a woman of reflection. And I, uh, I would like to ask you any reflection you want to share today. Oh, I think my big reflection would be today is that we are a very, I don't want to say durable, but we are really resilient. And as a society and as an individual, each of us is really resilient. And to remember that there's a strength inside of you that you can bring to all the challenges that we face. And that with that power and hope for the future, that we will get through this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kirsty, for joining me on this podcast. I'm so happy that I was able to have you agree to be a guest. And I really, really appreciate your reflection and your messages today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julieta. Thanks for all that you do and for sharing your thoughts and the thoughts of all of us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Medicine for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share with family and friends, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Acast, and YouTube. 
Follow me on social media at Dr. Jet on Twitter and Facebook. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. See you on our next episode.